Welcome to the One Voice for Neurology podcast, a series of podcasts exploring why it's time to make neurology a priority, how that can be achieved with a global and uniform response, and what that could mean for the future of neurology in those living with a neurological disorder. I'm Sam Polly, and you're listening to episode 14, Zooming in on India, the importance of brain health. and a very warm welcome back to the One Voice for Neurology podcast. We're delighted to be back after our previous series of episodes during Brain Awareness Week in the spring. And of course, since then, a major milestone has been achieved. The Intersectoral Global Action Plan on Epilepsy and Other Neurological Disorders was adopted at the 75th World Health Assembly in May. The Global Action Plan should have a positive impact on people living with neurological disorders and will address the worldwide challenges and gaps in providing care and services for people with epilepsy and other neurological disorders. It'll ensure a comprehensive, coordinated response. So, in our two latest episodes, we want to focus on two areas of the world and look at the particular challenges that they face how the eye gap can be implemented, and the impact that that could have. In our previous episode, we looked at Africa, but today we're focusing on India, a country with a population of just over 1.4 billion. In today's episode, we'll be looking at neurological care and what level of access this huge population has to that care. We'll also be discussing care and neurological disorders across the life course, from childhood to the elderly. And as we do that, we'll be discussing the impact that prioritising brain health could have. We'll also be hearing what it's really like to live with a neurological disorder. Later in the episode, and as a first for the One Voice for Neurology podcast series, we'll be looking closely at paediatric neurology. We'll be exploring why, to ensure a healthy neurology through the life course, we need to consider and address developmental and childhood neurological issues. But first, let's focus on part of the life course where there is a large burden that is only set to increase, the elderly. You're listening to the One Voice for Neurology podcast with me, Sam Polly. Joining me now to discuss the burden of neurological conditions in the elderly and the role of prevention and the brain health approach, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Bindu Menon, Senior Consultant Neurologist and founder of the Dr. Bindu Menon Foundation, which focuses on awareness and reducing the treatment gap of neurological disorders across India. I'm also joined by Dr. Rajinder Demija, Professor of Neurology and Director of the Institute of Human Behaviour and Allied Sciences in New Delhi. Thank you both for joining the One Voice for Neurology podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Now, before we start, just a quick reminder that accessibility is really important to the team here at the One Voice for Neurology podcast. And that's why we transcribe all of our podcasts. So if you prefer, you can read along. And if you can't see the transcript on the platform through which you're listening, then you can contact us at podcast at oneneurology.net. Now, Bindu, to, to start us off, perhaps you could briefly explain the current situation in India in terms of the elderly population and neurological disorders. Thank you, Sam. 
India is a large country and we have a population of around 1.4 billion. And the serving uh, neurologists for this large population is just around 2,500. And which amounts and accounts to around one neurologist for a million people, I can say. And on top of that, the country is also passing through an unprecedented epidemiological transition. What I mean is that there is a change, there is a recent stride in the socioeconomic uh, sphere. So there is a change from the communicable to the non-communicable diseases. Adding to that, the number of neurologists who are there are predominantly either in the metropolitan cities, the state capitals or the two-tier or the three-tier cities, and a very small proportion that is around two to three percent are there in the rural areas. But the rural areas account for around, I should say, around three-fourths of the country. So this demographic shift of aging population we are having as well as epidemiological transition we are having, there needs to be a lot of neurological change and centers across the country which needs to be in the setting that the NCDs are growing and we are seeing patients with stroke, epilepsy, Alzheimer's disease, dementia, as well as headaches coming in increasing in proportion. And uh, Rajinda, maybe just to pick up on one of the points that Bindu made, why are there so few neurologists? Thank you, Sam, for having us. Uh, it is an important question because of the large population and the, a small base of neurologists in the practice in India. The numbers have traditionally been low because of the less number of available positions in the country for medical education, as well as for the neurology subspecialty uh, in particular. But over the last few years, the numbers have been increasing. The numbers are likely to go up, but at the moment, we are really short of uh, neurologists uh, as compared to the WHO standard numbers, less than one neurologist per 100,000 population, while required numbers are about 2.5 neurologists at least, as in the uh, Western population. To give uh, the numbers, absolute numbers, the United States of America has about uh, 3,000 neurologists, a uh, little more than 3,000. India has also around the same numbers, 2,500 to 3,000. But the population of United States is one-fourth or one-third of India as compared to the landmass area and the, the numbers of people who are aging now. Uh, we have 10% of the population over the age of 60 years, which is likely to increase to 20% in the next 20 years. So the numbers are glaring at us and so are the neurodegenerative conditions like dementia, strokes and all these conditions where we need long-term care. Rajinda, when we're talking and looking at the picture of India, are there any particular neurological conditions that are particularly prevalent in India and that are quite specific to India in terms of that prevalence? Yes, and I think uh, when we're talking about stroke, uh, you know, the, uh, the incidence and the prevalence of stroke is declining in the Western countries, but in India it has doubled up in the last one decade. So the burden is increasing in numbers. Uh, the other thing is that the stroke is happening in younger population. Uh, in India, uh, decade younger than the Western population. It's the uh, region because of the more prevalent of uh, heart disease, like rheumatic heart disease, that predisposed to the stroke. So that's the other thing. And the uh, the obesity and the lifestyle factors, which uh, population is now, uh, because of the economic transition, becoming sedentary lifestyle. So that way, the numbers are increasing as compared to the West. And that is something to be concerned about. 
Binda, are there any other disorders that you that you think would fit into that category? If you look at epilepsy, uh, there are some forms of preventable epilepsies in the country, and they count to a huge number as well, especially neurocystic psychosis, uh, which is an infective form, just simple hand hygiene and taking care of uh, uh, the vegetables eating pattern can prevent that. Also, the number of road traffic accidents in the country is a huge number. And the RTA, the road traffic accidents related, and then the scar epilepsies, which are there, that is also a huge number in the country. These are the preventable epilepsies, which form a big percentage, and we can work on them and see that at least these can come down to a market degree. In a moment, we'll talk more about potential solutions for those challenges. And today we're mainly going to talk about neurology in the elderly. That's our focus. But of course, that's linked with adulthood before becoming elderly. What do we mean when we talk about the elderly, Bindu? Adulthood, I would say that it's a period in a human lifespan where there is a full physical and intellectual maturity a person has attained. And from there, from the adulthood, it starts at around 20 years to 21 years. And from there, the middle age starts from around 40 years. And from it's followed by the old age at around 60 years. So there is a transition from an adulthood to a middle age to an um, older age and then to an elderly. And over this transition is where we need to take care of the neurological health because each one is indeed interlinked because what we so that we reap. So if you sow right, probably in the adulthood, uh, then you will reap wise in the elderly per- person. Just to add to what Dr. Bindu has just elaborated, uh, the India is going to have a huge numbers of not only elderly population, but these elderly people would have diseases also, which are related to the uh, aging. So uh, double whammy in one is that the numbers are increasing. And the second is these people will be living with the neurological disorders in the future, and we have to take care of these disorders in general. So, Rajinda, how how important a role then is prevention? How important a role could that play? Absolutely right, uh, Sam. These diseases, most of these diseases can be preventable, uh, treatable. Uh, so, obviously, we need to focus on prevention so that we have uh, the less burden of disease. And the prevention in terms of physical activity increasing in uh, these individuals, whether it is exercising 30 minutes every day for five days or uh, 10,000 steps, as we recommend uh, for these uh, people to have that kind of activity. Uh, in addition to that, the mental activity increase in uh, you know cognitive exercises or cognitive fitness that we are advocating to have a more cognitive reserve so that it can be taken care of in case there is a brain ill health. And then, of course, reducing the risk factors in the community like hypertension, diabetes, cholesterol, all these risk factors which are modifiable uh, that can be used to prevent the neurological disorders in addition to the proper attention to your sleep. So all these preventive factors are very, very crucial in improving the brain health in the communities and particularly with reference to the elderly population. And Bindu, just a quick word on brain health, because that's a term that we hear quite often. What do we we mean about that uh, when we say brain health? And um, and is that part of prevention? Is that something that could be key here? That's very important because a good brain health, we always say good cardiac health, good um, all the other organs had a good healthy system. But brain health is a, is, is a 
is a state of a functioning where your memory, your sensory, your motor, your social, your emotional, and also, um, also the way you behave, everything is allowing a person to realize that they have the full potential across the life course. And that, that is irrespective of whether the person has a disease or a person doesn't have a disease. And as Dr. Rajita said, a lifestyle does make a lot of difference in that. And why this is important is across the life course is that your the person's individual's nervous system's resilience is depend it's markedly affects affected by this environment and the circumstances during that infant or the child development. And in the adult, that amount of resilience with the brain, the good brain which the person has, that particular brain is less vulnerable to a subsequent neurological disorder. So hence, we need not, we shouldn't be starting at a, probably at a middle age. And I suppose the focus should start from the childhood and the adult where we have a nervous system, we have a brain, have a healthy brain, which is resilient and can see that even if it gets diseased, the outcome, output and a better prognosis is there for that particular person. And Bindu, is there enough focus on the importance of prevention at the moment, do you think? I would say yes. I suppose a lot is being done in the country as far as various schemes are concerned, especially in the rural sector as well. The government uh, is tending to send out some vans where they check on to the primary prevention of hypertension, take a check on diabetes and give medications as well. So I suppose the, the lot is being done. How much the public is taking the initiative and taking and utilizing the services is always questionable because of uh, several other factors. And just to put a small word on that, the public as well as the policymaker should realize is that the disability due to a nervous system disorder is extremely high, unlike any other organ in the body. And that's where we probably need to put in our extra effort to see that disability comes down. So prevention is extremely crucial in such a setting. And in terms of awareness that the public has, is there a disparity across the country in terms of, of the awareness of the importance of prevention in different parts of India, perhaps? Yes, I would say that awareness about the disease are equally measurable, we can say, to the amount of education that the that particular state has. If a particular state is low in its education level, uh, they are still in the clutches of uh, the old beliefs, the old stigmas and the pattern of treatment that they have been following and they are unable to come out of that. So the education system is not there, the channels are not there, the newspapers are not there, the pamphlets are not there. So there is no person who can guide them. But a, pers- a state particularly where the education level is very good, uh, the awareness of many particular diseases are good and the utilization of the medical services are also equal to that. So it is different across the various uh, states. Um, um, I particularly feel it will depend upon the education level and also the policymakers who so are taking more initiatives in a particular place as, as far as health is concerned. Well, we still have a lot to discuss, but first, let's just take a moment to hear firsthand from someone living with a neurological disorder. Ramahan is living with Parkinson's disease, and he sent us this diary from his home. My name is Ram Mohan. I'm 68 years old, and I'm living in the state of Andhra Pradesh in India. I'm a veteran and was associated with ship design, construction, and maintenance. My wife, mother-in-law, and I live together. 
I am affected by Parkinson's disease for the past five and a half years. In May 2017, my brother, who is a pediatrician, suspected that something was not right with me. The neurologist diagnosed that I was having Parkinson's disease. Till March 2020, I was not affected much by the disease, except for a little slowing down of movements. During the COVID pandemic, significant deterioration took place in my condition. The symptoms are difficulty in putting on and removal of clothes, constipation, freezing of the legs, increased stiffness of the limbs, handwriting becoming illegible, slowdown of reflex, difficulty in turning and getting out of bed. In June 2021, I came to know about PDMDS support group India and became a member. The group has helped me significantly. Every Saturday evening, a Zoom meeting is conducted in which physiotherapist Dr. Shalini teaches us exercises, conducts brain games, discusses cognitive and non-cognitive aspects and counsels the members. Participants exchange their experiences like a big family. The society has been doing human service to all the Parkinson's patients in India. In my country, there is hardly any awareness of the disease and the challenges faced by the patients. Specialized movement disorder things are very few and are limited to big cities. The public places are not much visible friendly, causing hardship to them and compelling them to stay at home. I hope in the near future, the awareness about this neurological problem increases and facilities for the movement and treatment of the patients improve. Well, thank you so much, Ramahan, for sending that. And great to hear that the support group is making a difference to you and other people living with Parkinson's disease. Rajinda and Bindu, we've been talking today about the situation and challenges in India, in particular in terms of the growing burden of neurological disorders in the elderly. Let's turn our focus now to solutions. Rajinda, what would you like to be seeing being done in India in the approach to neurological disorders? Uh, Sam, a lot of things are being done uh, in the last few years. We have seen the number of positions are increasing. Creating awareness is equally important as Dr. Bindu elaborated. So I think that we need to uh, sensitize the policymakers, the public at large, about the magnitude of the neurological burdens, how it can be prevented, and the, how we can improve or promote the brain health. So I would like to see more investment in public health, more investment in the health system improvement. At the moment, India is spending only 1% of its GDP in the public health. So we need to infuse more funds into the public health uh, to improve the health system at large and provide almost all the districts, around 700 districts in, in, in India, should have uh, one neurologist, at least uh, in the public system, uh, in addition to the private hospitals. So, uh, creating a neurological force in the public health uh, system where the majority of the uh, population would be the first visiting, that is important. Of course, in addition to that, uh, mass media and other uh, players have to come and play a major role so that uh, public as well as the policymakers can join hands to create awareness about, about the brain health where we can uh, you know, focus on promotion, prevention, treatment, and better outcome of the neurological disorders. So we are all advocates, including the neurologists, as well as the, the public patients and the caregivers, all have to come together to raise awareness about the brain health and investment in the brain. 
Bindi, did you want to add anything to that? And, and in a moment, I just want to deep dive a bit further into specific services. But did you want to add anything to what Rajinda said? When we are trying to see that um, the neurological health has to be improved, the reasons uh, are the non-availability of care is inadequate health delivery system, uh, the trained personnel, as Dr. Rajinda has already said, and an absence of essential drugs. So an epilepsy, if one can say that not one person with epilepsy should go untreated because of an unavailability of a drug, which is not an expensive drug if that comes to a rural sector. And so much of funds need not be um, kept for that. Uh, only the willingness can be there and ensuring that it carries on. And also very important in India is that there is a prevalence of traditional beliefs and practices, and one needs to break that and move out of it which sometimes can be a difficult task, but then it can be done. How do you think it can be done? I personally feel that, uh, Sam, uh, once we keep talking about something which has got a scientific relevance, perseverance is very important. Most of the times we see that as neurologists, we go to a place people might not believe, especially in the rural sector. But if we continue to go there and we touch lives, we give uh, treatment to people and they themselves experience that there has been a person with epilepsy who is now on his feet and empowered with the medical treatment and not with another non-scientific uh, way that they were treating. I think uh, we can make a difference in that way. Doing is important. And in terms of the services that are available to, to somebody who um, is living with a neurological disorder, and that might be uh, the initial diagnosis or the um, treatment and the care or rehabilitation or perhaps even palliative care. Are there any particular areas in India where there are particular treatment gaps or access gaps? Uh, Rajinda, let me bring you back in. Yeah, I think uh, three parts, the curative part and then the rehabilitation and the palliative all three needs to be equally given importance. The focus is at the moment more on the curative part. So the patient comes in the hospital, gets treatment for seven days, two weeks, and then goes back home and is left for family to take care of his palliative or the rehabilitation. So the neuro rehabilitation is still in infancy in India. So we don't have many more structured neuro rehabilitation programs for these patients who are you know treated after strokes and the other neuro degenerative disorders. Uh, so we need to uh, focus on this priority area to make neuro rehabilitation available, accessible, and affordable to each to each patient who has a neurological disorder. So rehabilitation is one area which is really in a primitive stage in India, and we need to improve upon that. Similarly, neuro palliative is really not heard in many parts of the country, and focus is cure, not care. So we want to give a total care in terms of improving the quality of life and making them much more uh, symptom-free. So that is where we, we would like to see the policymakers investing in these areas and neuro-rehabilitation and neuro-palliative, particularly uh, when the, the neurological disorders are labeled as not only crippling the body, but crippling the mind also. So we need to take care of the, the total care Let's talk a little bit more about policymakers as well, because the Intersectoral Global Action Plan on Epilepsy and Other Neurological Disorders was adopted in May at the World Health Assembly. How important do you think that is going to be in India and how much of a, a help will that be to, to policymakers, do you think, Bindu? I suppose this has come out as a fresh wave, you know. How this is going to help us is that um, if you take India, there are several of us in different sectors um, scattered across, working in a different way, um, different type module, 
and we all all are trying to reach out and see that neurological burden is reduced but everybody has got a different way of working everybody has got a different target and uh, it's all scattered we are making a change but then it's not being uh, bundled into one core area now this i gap probably we feel that there is a stimulus to coordinate efforts so there would be a coordinated effort there would be policies there would be guidelines there would be things in place and it's going to leverage a momentum you know it's going to increase that's going to advance it the there would be some agenda that we would be following so we know that yes uh, i need to do this there is a target and i need to achieve it and probably we would be taking into this moment and several other neurologists who have the urge to do it but probably did not have the way and they did not have the path to follow it and this would be easier for them so i think we would be working the whole neurological community is now going to work together and igap is really going to help us for that and we really look forward to have that policy in place and maybe if you could both uh, if there are policy makers listening today maybe if you had a, a sentence or a short message for them what would that be rajinder I'll, I'll start with you and come back to you bindu i think sam uh, i would like to add what dr bindu said the policy makers have already taken a note of this and the government of india has already started deliberations uh, the meetings have already been taking place of all the states together about ncd and in particularly neurological disorders is it now focused and i have been participant in these two meetings in last one month only so i can say that there is a visible change in the mindset of the policy makers and they have taken cognizance of the rising burden of neurological disorders and i would urge policy maker to invest in brain health create centers of excellence in neurological disorders not only at the national and uh, the state level but at the district level invest in district hospitals invest in infrastructure and invest in neuro rehabilitation and neuro palliative care Bindi. Yeah, um, absolutely, uh, Sam, uh, what Dr. Rajinder says, I would probably go with that. Um, it's basically one uh, the uh, policymakers need to scale up the treatment coverages of particularly, I would say the entry point of ICAP is also epilepsy. One needs to scale up the treatment coverage in all the national schemes which are there, probably neurological disorders well left out. but then uh, as igap takes momentum and the government policies takes momentum these diseases can be involved once it is involved automatically a lot of focus a lot of awareness public also realizes because sam i, I, I suppose we forgot to say mention that people the public still feel that neurological disorders are incurable and that's where we have been having a big challenge because we know that now epilepsy can be controlled a stroke in time can be cured in around 30 to 40% we have treatments for that dementia if recognized earlier we can go a long way parkinson disease at every point of stage of uh, the parkinson disease there is a treatment available as also headache migraines everything we it, we need to invest our energy uh, we, the patients need to come in time so this recognition i suppose when the government takes in an effort people uh, recognize it better rather than we talking so it's it's a teamwork and just to to just to finish you've spoken about all sorts of different challenges uh in terms of the geographical urban rural divide about the aging population so there are lots of challenges there um but in terms of of the work that's already being done and the work that's going to happen from the messages you've just given to policymakers in light of the i gap how hopeful are you both feeling despite those challenges about 
the future of uh, care for people living with neurological disorders in India. Rajinder, I'll come to you and then and then back to you, Bindu. I'm I'm quite positive and quite hopeful that this high gap will uh, make a change, and uh, I would urge policymakers to take note of it seriously and make uh, neurological treatments and uh, the rehabilitation affordable, accessible, and available to each and every corner of the country and each and every individual who suffers from neurological disorders. Indeed. Yes, yes, Sam. Uh, I am also very, very positive because we have been falling short individually as at every personal level as neurologists where the policy and the health system who was probably not in coordination with us. Now we have them. So the policy and the health system and our personal level actions will definitely help us to achieve a healthy aging across a long life course. And it would be done, I suppose I'm positive. Well, thank you very much for both of you for your time today. A huge amount to reflect on after our discussion. Thank you, Dr. Menon and Dr. Demija for joining us. Shortly, we'll be finding out more about the importance of childhood neurological care within the whole life course. But first, Dr. Tarun Dua from the World Health Organization was kind enough to send us this message on the importance of prevention, protection and promotion of brain health and across the life course. Hi, my name is Tarun Dua and I'm head of the Brain Health Unit in the World Health Organization headquarters. WHO. Prevention, protection, and promotion of brain health is a priority. That is the reason the unit I lead is called the Brain Health Unit. And that is also why WHO recently published the position paper titled as Optimizing Brain Health Across the Life Course. The position paper is important because it provides a definition of brain health as the state of brain functioning across different domains allowing a person to realize their full potential over the life course, irrespective of presence or absence of disorders. It talks about the interactions between various clusters of determinants, such as physical health, healthy environments, safety and security, learning and social connection, and access to quality services. Optimizing brain health improves mental health, physical health, and also creates positive social and economic impacts, all of which contribute to greater well-being and help advance society. The position paper is a complement to the Intersectoral Global Action Plan on Epilepsy and Other Neurological Disorders. This was endorsed in May 2022 by all WHO member states. This is an exciting and challenging era for neurology because the action plan provides the roadmap of strategic objectives and actions that countries, different stakeholders should be undertaking to address the burden that is due to neurological conditions. Let's all work together to achieve the ambitious targets outlined in this action plan. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Tarun Dua, for that message and update. You're listening to the One Voice for Neurology podcast with me, Sam Polly. Earlier in the episode, we looked at the burden and care of neurological disorders for the elderly in India. But could opportunities to lighten this burden be available earlier in the life course? 
Well, to discuss this further, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Ramla K.M., neurodevelopmental paediatrician from Kerala, India. Ramla is also involved with a number of projects and trusts, including being the founder of a project called HEE, Health, Education and Environment, which focuses on brain health in children and climate change. And Dr. Samir Zubiri, consultant paediatric neurologist at the Royal Hospital for Children in Glasgow and honorary professor at the University of Glasgow. Samir has long-standing connections with India, including that he's trained many child neurologists who now work in India. His family is also from the country. Dr. Ramla and Dr. Zubiri, a very warm welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start by having a little look at the kind of overall picture. Um, Ramna, what would you say are the major challenges in paediatric neurology in India at the moment? India has a population of 1.4 billion. After this, 444 million children are there. Two thirds of them live in the rural areas. This is a huge challenge in itself. And the burden of neurological disorders in India is enormous. Added with this, we have a large knowledge gap, a treatment gap, and there is a lot of diversity between the states. All this poses to be a large challenge to India, especially when the workforce and trained personnel is not sufficient for this large number. And why isn't there a sufficient number of trained personnel now? The number of the population is very high. So despite there being more than 500 medical colleges in India, you still find that the number of trained persons in neurology is less, especially in pediatric neurology, because it is a newer subspeciality. You can say that it is still in its infancy, but steadily growing. So it, there are a lot of challenges, but opportunities exist too. So before we, we sort of dive deeper into more of those challenges, can we just start by talking about prevention? How important a role can prevention play? Samir, let me come to you and then Ramla, I'll, I'll ask you afterwards. There are many neurological disorders that can be uh, prevented and through through public health measures. So we can think about prevention from antenatal care, the care of the mother to make sure that she's looked after well through pregnancy to minimize uh, in utero infections, to promote nutrition for the baby and therefore brain development in the womb. And then when the baby's born, it's really important in that critical period that we can prevent through good obstetric care um, and antenatal care, problems around the time of birth where children can have problems with lack of oxygen or difficulties with labour. And then really critical is the issue of feeding of the newborn. So ensuring that the newborn also is breastfed. So encouraging breastfeeding is critical all around the world, particularly in countries such as India and in Pakistan, because that promotes brain development and connectivity in the brain, and then preventing infection, uh, acquired brain injuries. So public health issues to keep children safe and preventing them from getting head injuries, whether that's playing in parks, whether that's road safety. There are many ways in which we can prevent um, acquired brain problems. And which are some of the problems then that can be prevented? 
For example, there's a condition called meningitis where you get uh, infection in the brain. There are now various immunizations that can prevent various types of meningitis. So ensuring that children have all the immunizations that are, that are possible, just preventing general um, infections through good public health measures, preventing infectious diseases can reduce um, brain inflammation and, and acquired brain injuries and, and certain types of cerebral palsy. Ramla, those sorts of preventative approaches that Samir was talking about, are they being are they being used enough? India has several states, and each state is sometimes as large as a country. So there's a lot of diversity between the states. There are certain states which have very strict immunization programs, while in others it is not so. So even today, you find that immunizations which can prevent meningitis, for example it is still rampant in certain parts of India. And sanitary precautions, which has to be taken, is not there in many states in India. For example, if you're going to talk about epilepsy, 80% of epilepsy occurs in the developing countries. And India has a large number of children with epilepsy. And one of the leading causes of this is what is called neurocysticercosis, that is a tapeworm infection, which can easily be prevented by awareness and simple measures like clean water, sanitation. Let's talk a little bit about these disparities because I feel like that's just absolutely fundamental in what we're talking about. It's the rural urban disparities, I think, as well as the state disparities. How can all of that be addressed? And we will talk more about solutions later. We'll also talk more about the IGAP. But are there any kind of golden bullets for this issue of disparity? India is a multi-communal, multicultural country. And the literacy rate and the education level, again, differs from state to state. State policies also differ from state to state. And there's a lot of misconceptions, taboos attached. And the latest adding to it is the social media. There's a lot of information which is irrelevant and sometimes erroneous. Can I ask Ramla, so when you're thinking about erroneous information from social media, how do you, as a, as a paediatrician, try and counteract that with your patients? Sometimes they come to you asking the questions. Sometimes they do not do it. They just pass on the messages from one to another. Kerala is a very literate state with almost 100% literacy. So it's very easy to deal here. In a certain pockets where I work, it has become more difficult to explain to them why this is so. It depends on the regions and the level of understanding. I think understanding is very important. Understanding of the right information and gaining the right knowledge. So I know that literacy varies a great deal between different states in, in India. I have a lot of experience of working also in, in, in Pakistan, particularly in Lahore, and you see how literacy varies between cities and rural areas. Are there ways in which you can promote education in in the in uh, in neurological conditions without necessarily requiring uh, families or patients to to be able to read? There's a lot of awareness created recently. Several state governments, including the central government, certain NGOs, educational bodies, and even the public have involved themselves in creating awareness across the country. And Samir, let me ask you back, reflect that back to you then. In your experience in Pakistan, are there any methods that are being used? 
I know that particularly in epilepsy, and I think epilepsy is a, an area where there is a lot of stigma and a lot of misunderstanding still all around the world in, ter in terms of uh, causes and management. So uh, there, there have been programs that the National Epilepsy Center based in Karachi have uh, led on. For example, they involved uh, a very famous Pakistani who ran the ED Foundation, who ran private ambulances through Pakistan. So he did a television campaign informing people that epilepsy was a real condition, that it could be treated, that people should go to their doctors, that it wasn't anything to do with what were called demonic possession or jinns, which is sometimes thought of in, in parts of uh, Pakistan. And I think that was very powerful, but there's still a lot more work to be done. Well, Samir, you were mentioning awareness of epilepsy there. So this would be a good moment, I think, to take a break and hear from a young person living in India who's been living with epilepsy since he was two. Let's hear Anzil's story. My name is Anzil Rahman. I lived in a small town in the Nilagiri district of Tamil Nadu, India. I have completed my schooling and I just stepped into college in arts and English literature. In my family, we are four members, my father, my mother and my brother. I have a disorder called epilepsy since the age of two and a half years old. My condition was diagnosed when I continued to show abnormal movements of my limbs several times a week. The seizure occurs as jerky movements, especially of my hands. When this happens, I drop things. Sometimes I fall down. They occur suddenly when I get very stressed, very happy or very sad. Sometimes it happens when I use a computer or a smartphone for a long period. After this, I became unconscious for short period. It makes me feel weak for the whole day. Epilepsy has affected me in many ways. I have felt that I was different from others. When seizure occurred, at school, it made others look at me. It made me feel hurt and ashamed. But I got a lot of motivation support from my school and parents. This made me feel better. Due to the epilepsy, my education was affected. I was unable to perform like other students. I also had difficulty remembering. I could not participate in certain activities which made me feel sad but because of the support I got was able to pass all my school exams. For the past one and a half years I have had no seizures. My life is almost normal now and I feel happy. There were many challenges to overcome. I realized that I have to continue medication daily though sometimes certain medication makes me feel weak for the whole day. My success was achieved by continuing medication, the psychological support I got from my family, friends, school and doctors. Yes, I feel 
proud of myself i would like others to know what it is to live with epilepsy and the difficulties and how they can cope with it and overcome it thank you anzil for sharing your story and many congratulations on your achievements now just before we heard from anzil samir you said there's still a lot more work to be done so let's talk about that and i particularly want to talk about the intersectoral global action plan on epilepsy and other neurological disorders sometimes called the igap for short now equipped with that what can policymakers do what are the steps forward they can take particularly given the state system and the rural urban divide ramla india was one of the countries which has signed the pact so india is now willing to do it and quite a few states are willing to go ahead with the targets of the igap and in fact they have asked for our assistance in doing so and what would you like to see policymakers doing to address some of these challenges policymakers are looking to the various aspects for example they are trying to equip primary health centers in fact they are going to bring in more medicines to the primary health centers and they are training personnel at different levels and also including a lot of awareness programs all this together i think would help especially when there is a single united voice to do so one of the important things about the eye gap is it's it is thinking about brain development throughout the life course and the life course begins begins in utero so i think one of the important things in in terms of policy is, is thinking about how this can affect not just neurologists or psychiatrists but also influencing obstetric care neonatal care uh, for children as well and um care within the community one of the critical things as ramla mentioned is is access to medications and i think this is really really important because many of the medications for example for epilepsy are, are not necessarily expensive but it's getting getting patients uh, and developing pathways so that patients can see the right doctor who knows about the condition who can diagnose epilepsy and give give the person the right medication so that's providing a pathway from maybe a rural health worker to a local doctor to a more specialist doctor to thinking about how those pathways can be developed in in India and other countries you've just touched on it a little bit uh, smear there as well obviously in this episode we're also particularly focusing on brain health what do we mean really by the concept of of brain health and how does that play a role does that play a role in prevention or in protection or what what do we mean smear let me come to you and then ramna i think brain health is a very broad concept as a neurologist and biased the brain is the most interesting organ <laughs> and the most important and the brain is really the the organ of of learning and 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 communication and it makes us who we are so to have a healthy brain means that we're able to live a full life that we're able to communicate that we're able to learn that we're able to move that we're able to do all the basic activities that humans need to do to be part of a, a, a society and that's not just diseases but that's mental health as well and your ability to learn in school as well so it's a very broad concept and therefore as we talk about 
health, we should not just be thinking about the services that the hospitals can provide, but also those additional services that schools may provide in terms of supporting children with uh, brain illnesses and neurological disorders. Ramna, emotional health is very important as part of the brain health also. And the other systems are very intricately linked to the brain. For example, the gut, the immunity, the mind, all together. So the brain is a very enormous organ, a very expensive organ. And this itself translates to healthy brain. We have a healthy economy and a healthy world. And do you think this message of brain health is is a message that's easier and more understandable to, to transmit in terms of raising awareness? It depends again on the areas. There are certain places where the brain health itself, the term itself, is plagued with misconceptions. What I have actually observed is it's very easy to make children understand. I've been working in schools for brain health and I've understood that they can understand things better. Simple things like proper sleep, diet, exercise, whether physical or mental, they're able to understand this and use this in their daily lives. And this, again, is very important because the resilience of the adult brain depends on what the child brain was. So there are many factors, many sides to what is called brain health. I want to pick up, Ramla, just a moment about that point about the childhood brain health in terms of the adult brain health. But just it makes me wonder as well if the younger people are more open to this education and better understanding it. Do they have a role to play as a channel themselves in terms of their communities? I think so. And in fact, what I've observed is that the schools are a place where they're willing to learn. They're willing to think about things. And in fact, if you could include brain health as part of a curriculum, I think this personally, I think this would provide rich dividends in the future. How much of a burden is created from children who are, who are living with neurological conditions? And I mean, that's quite a broad question because I, that sort of looks at the children themselves, but also one therefore assumes that they could be living their whole life with their neurological condition. And therefore, so how much of a burden, Samir, you're, you're agreeing with me? Yeah, I think we have to think about the burden on the child and the family. For the child themselves, obviously, there's the illness, which is often lifelong, and many neurological disorders are chronic. And so there's the burden for that individual child, but there's also the burden on the family as well, because many children require a great deal of care. And often that burden particularly falls on the mother. That's the same all around the world. And we know that to lift up societies, the key thing is to empower women. You know, that, that's, that's basically the message that we've had all around the world. Um, and empowering women also means that allowing women to care for their children, but also access to employment and education. And having a child with a neurological problem often limits that for, for many, many families. And we know throughout the world that if you have a child with a chronic neurological disorder, one or both parents typically either gives up their job or loses their job because because they're caring for their child. So it has a significant economic impact on the, on the family as well. So we have to think about the other resources that societies can provide to support children with, with neurological problems and their families. And Ramla, those children then become adults living with neurological disorders as well. Yes. So actually this translates a child with a disability has so many issues that translates to the family and then to the society and then to the country at large. 
And do you think this burden could be lifted then by focusing on this message of prevention, protection, promotion through brain health? Definitely. Prevention is a core aspect and protection of the brain and promotion of the right knowledge really does help. We're nearly out of time, but I just want to ask you a couple more more questions. Just very quickly, Samir and, and then Ramla, what would your message be to give to policymakers? Any policymakers that are listening here, what would you like them to take away from our conversation? Samir. Without healthy brains, we don't have a, a healthy society. If you want productive individuals, if you want people who can learn, contribute to society, then we all need to have healthy brains um, to promote the, the best possible education in society. Ramla. My message would be a healthy brain. We have a healthy world. And we've talked about a lot of the challenges, again, the, the rural-urban divide and the state divisions and the disparities. Given all of those things, the solutions, possible solutions we've talked about and the eye gap, how hopeful are you both feeling for the future in India and, and the Indian subcontinent in terms of paediatric neurology and, and how important maybe is the eye gap in that? Ramla, let me come to you first. Because of the awareness that has been created and especially with the eye gap coming in, I think the future does hold hope. I would agree. I, I think it's really important. Often there's been a lot of focus on mental health, which is absolutely really important. But I think widening that out into brain health, thinking about brain diseases, illnesses, preventable genetic conditions as well is critical. And I think the WHO and countries who are supporting the IGAP means that there's a potential policy framework moving forwards for the next 10 to 20 years. And so you feel hopeful as well, Samir, then do you for, for people, for the people actually living with the neurological conditions? Yes, yes. I have to feel hopeful. <laughs> I have to feel hopeful. I know there's lots of challenges all around the world, but I think we have to feel hopeful and enthusiastic because if we can transmit our hope and enthusiasm to policymakers, that will be critical because I think policymakers want to make changes they want to have an impact on their locality, their society, their country, their region. And I think if we can emphasize to them that making changes to the way children and adults with brain diseases are cared for, they can make a real impact on their society. Well, thank you both. We'll leave it there. But thank you both so much for joining us today and for such an interesting discussion. And we'll look forward to the future and what that holds. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sam. And thank you, Ramla, for a great discussion. Well, it's been really interesting to focus on India today. There are some clear and major challenges, but there's clearly commitment and passion to address those challenges. And the Intersectoral Global Action Plan could be a key driver in that. It was so interesting to hear that all of our interviewees were aligned on the importance of prevention, protection and promotion of brain health. And we hope that that can be prioritised going forward. Thank you once again to all of our guests today. And thank you to you for being with us and listening in. We have lots of episodes already available. So if you haven't already listened, do check in to those, especially our most recent one on Africa. Until next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the One Voice for Neurology podcast, produced on behalf of One Neurology, 
a global partnership conceived by the European Federation of Neurological Associations, EFNA, and the European Academy of Neurology, EAN. The podcast was produced and hosted by Sam Polly. Thank you for listening and join us again soon.